0: Self is dedicated to the exploration of the most rewarding task an individual can ever embark on: the journey to find oneself. Our intention is to investigate the universal principles that have equipped our species to seek the treasure of all treasures: self-knowledge. Your hosts, Daniel and Eduardo. This is the Know Thyself podcast. Awesome. Well, hey, welcome to the Know Thyself Podcast. I'm here with Daniel. Hello. And I am Eduardo. And part three, my friend, I know that this has been pretty intense breakdown of the movie Pinocchio, the story of Pinocchio, the idea of Pinocchio, the esoteric breakdown of Pinocchio. And I feel so privileged to be able to have this conversation with you. Yet again, not because of all the you know, same reasons I always mention that, but because I'm just learning so much, just to have this conversation with you it teaches me uh, more about things that I didn't even think of prior to studying um, this epi- this um uh, sorry, this story, but also the lessons that are found within this archetypal archetypal journey that we've been breaking down. And so we left off with Pinocchio rising in the morning for a new day with a path that's been set uh, for him by three individuals. In that case, the night before was the priest, um, Podesta, which is one of the villains, the more fascist villain, the the man who doesn't like the undisciplined mind, who suggests for Pinocchio to go to school, and of course, Geppetto. And so we will take off from there.
1: Yeah, absolutely, man. And, you know, one thing I was kind of – thinking about was when i was just like oh wow we you know we have this part three coming up and we've been able to have this conversation on the story and it's really attributed to something we spoke about in the very beginning of the podcast as like creating a common language and once we create a common language we're about we're able to go deeper into our conversations and so Even going back to the very beginning when we would do movie breakdowns, we were obviously able to, like, look at the esoteric significance. But now that we're, you know, 100 episodes plus in and we've really established these foundations, we're able to go deeper, you know. And so I think all of the movie breakdowns from this point on are going to be, you know, two, three, four-part series because it's a representation of everything we spoke about. You know, it's not just... What we spoke about this year, it's not just the story, it's everything up to this point. And so it's just really exciting to be able to go deeper into these studies. And it shows you why it's so important to look at the esoteric and keep that studying going because it allows for us to explore stories deeper. You know, even the idea of like fundamental occult information, like the Kaibalian. You know, a lot of times individuals are like introduced to the esoteric and the occult from the Kaibalian, and it's so fundamental for them. And then as they continue their journey and they go deeper into their studies, they kind of look at that book as like, oh, that was like my entry in, but that was like a beginner book. I don't need to go back to it. Well, actually you do, because when you go back to it, all of a sudden you see that like, you read it with new eyes and you hear it with new ears and you're able to pick up much deeper significance in the first time around, second time around. And so we always talk about that as like going back to see what more information we can harvest. And I think this is a perfect case study of, you know, I think it even surprised you and I, I don't think we really planned that we were going to have a third part of Pinocchio and where this conversation goes. We'll see, maybe we'll have a fourth part of Pinocchio. And um, yeah, so I'm really excited to kind of continue this journey. And we do. Our Pinocchio is now traveling to the external world in this like independent fashion and was really kind of pushed there. And, you know, Geppetto actually in this Del Toro movie had resistance about sending him to school. He was just like, I, I don't think he's, you know, ready. Like, are you sure about this? And it's kind of counter right. to the Disney movie, um, the cartoon, you know, the uh, the um, the one that was done in the late 40s, early 50s, where Geppetto was just like, he makes Pinocchio, and then he's just like, he's alive. He's like, oh, tomorrow you're going to go to school. And he just kind of like sends him on <laughs> his way. And so I like that Del Toro kind of showed the resistance of the father to this idea of, like, I don't know if he's ready, you know, and we're going to kind of see if Pinocchio's ready to take on the world and get the lessons that we have once we leave the house, and once we kind of meet the me out there, and we kind of continue that dance of the self-unfoldment of the soul. And so that's right, though. Pinocchio is on his way, and he's got Jiminy Cricket, his consciousness, kind of by his side. And before we even get into the classroom, um, you know, we have some kind of some distractions and we kind of feel this, the idea of like meeting some other archetypes that we did not expect on the journey. And that's where we kind of find ourselves.
0: Absolutely, man. Um, to go back just a little bit what you just said, and in regards to these conversations that we're having that are, you know, going to take place in the future based on everything we've sort of unfolded together uh during this this you know period of recording these these episodes and and discovering new ways to apply the lessons that we've already um kind of visited and revisited more and more things kind of you know open up and more things um not only lend themselves to you to to the the viewer but you know the the archetypal story it's so funny. You can depict it in in a way that's in its macro and you can do it in its micro. And it's kind of hard now not to look at things so specifically, you know, I did enjoy watching the film, but, uh, where were you, where we're we going to pick up from or where we're we going to pick up where we left off in regards to what you just said about the people that we're going to meet along the way is, you know, more of these, of these distractions. And, Right away when when Pinocchio starts his day, you know, he's excited. He's very excited to go to school. He doesn't really know what school is, right? So he he knows it's something that he gets to do with a lot of people of his age. And he sounds like school is fun. Um, And I think that that eagerness to learn or wanting to learn prompts Geppetto to give Pinocchio a gift, And he says, you know, before you start your day, before you start your journey in school, I want to give you something. And he gives him a book. And he's so excited just to get a gift from Geppetto. He knows that there's something that he's being given, but he doesn't even know what a book really is. And it's a book that belonged to his late son, Carlo. And... Again, it kind of shows you that wonderment that Pinocchio still has. So regardless of the information that's found within the pages, he's just so open to receiving these gifts, whether it be from his father or from the collective universe that's going to be showing him a a way of of life. And I think that that in itself is is beautiful. You know, I think it's a great moment right there where you kind of see this um, eagerness to learn. And I think that that's something we all have. But of course, it's going to diminish when it comes to individuals who tell us what to think or how to think or which way to go, whether it be left or right. And that's what's going to happen right out of the gate when he leaves the house. And so I think it starts off with him and Jiminy Cricket or you know Sebastian walking to school and being found. By an interesting character in this in this story and that is the assistant to the um ringleader of the circus that's coming to town and that is this chimp this monkey that spots pinocchio and and he spots pinocchio not just because obviously he's a you know an anomaly you know he's just walking talking wooden puppet but he's also very loud and very uh you know, joyful, very jovial, very, you know, prominent. And I think that's what catches at first the attention of this monkey. And so I don't want to go too fast. I don't know if you want to just like take it from there.
1: Perfect. Yeah. And that's, that's a really unique character. And we really don't, I think when he's first introduced, we think it's going to be a side character, but it's so important. He plays such an important role as the story continues and in that character, the, the kind of that monkey, um, representation, and I don't know why I'm blanking on his name is, is really fascinating because he's bothered by this child excitement of Pinocchio. And what that monkey is right. going to represent is the animal part of our consciousness, you know, the, the inner aspect of that, like the animal nature. And just like we spoke about before, the soul goes through a journey. It starts as a single celled organism and it makes its way up the ladder of consciousness until it becomes a human. And so as that's, as we go through that experience, we go through, you know, the vegetable experience, the animal experience. And so in all of us, we do have this animal component and the animal component is going to be something that we have to kind of identify and really connect to the heart. Because if we don't connect to the heart, it's going to kind of work against the evolution. It's it's very much controlled by like the consciousness. And when it's controlled by the lower consciousness and that like, you know, that selfish personal ego state, the animal nature is, it doesn't really, it's going to be directed by the consciousness. And so if we're in a lower consciousness, it's going to attack anything that represents pure, you know, the higher self. And how our actions are, we don't even see this. And it actually kind of creates this like his, you know, when we see this monkey, his left eye is actually glazed over. And this kind of shows how our Mm -hmm. actions, which is like the left side of the mind, the masculine side actually have this, like, you know, there's not clarity in our actions. Like it's like fuzzy. And this is going to kind of represent the idea of when we don't connect that animal nature to the heart, when we don't actually incorporate the lower parts of ourselves with the higher journey it's going to attack any kind of springing up of this you know childlike consciousness in the inner child and it actually like is angered by it and and we kind of see this because he like actually like throws stuff at pinocchio in the beginning and he's going to work against pinocchio When Pinocchio can actually incorporate him and connect him with his heart, he's actually going to be his greatest ally later on. And so he's very much this representation of, you know, going down through this process and incorporating these animal aspects of ourselves and purifying them as well. You know, it's this automation process of us and it works against us when it's, you know, not in our awareness. And so, Very fascinating, even the evolution of this, and he's very much, you know, tending to that lower ego who is his master, you know, and the the, kind of that dance that kind of happens with this. And we, we see this through the spiritual process, you know, when we're starting to awaken up. We get attacked by that lower ego because it doesn't want to lose control, and so this mo- this monkey with this glazed over left eye is going to show how we can't act in accordance to our true mind and our true heart when we when we don't incorporate this. And so even if we're trying to make progress, it's going to kind of work against us, um, and it's going to kind of you know. It's not going to give us clear actions. It's going to actually like give us you know fog and confusion and bring things and you know do inner pain. This could be representation of like depression. This could be the inner self talk that's very automatic where we speak negative about ourselves, negative emotional patterns, and how important it is to purify that automatic automatic process inside of our consciousness and make sure that. You know, we don't let this lower nature control us or keep us grounded to this reality.
0: Wow, no, well said, man. I'm glad that you really lingered on on the character, and I, I believe the character's name is Spazatura, and uh, which is interesting because it's voiced by a very uh, profound actress that has a long history of doing, um, you know, just incredible work in the film industry. But yeah, spazatura, you know, looking for the attention of, of a master rather than understanding how to be the master of, of its own domain, understanding that it has its own talents. Instead, looking for validation from another individual, which is what leads the the chimp or the monkey or spazatura to go get um, the the individual that will be coming into the scene Uh, is his attention to be like, hey, I found your next act. I found something that might bring you um, some kind of uh, not just wealth, but also joy that I have discovered for you to have an approval of me. Um, You kind of see that, you know, he kind of hangs low. He kind of hangs his head down a bit um, and lets the ringleader quite literally you know, kind of make the shots and, and take over. Um, and that's how you sort of are introduced to the next character, uh, in this story and that story and that character is, um, count Volpe, which is this, you know, very interesting character that I know we're going to, you know, obviously talk about a lot in the last or in the third or fourth, uh, breakdown of this movie. But, uh, you know, you can see that he's sitting in a state of despair, um, not having anybody to really take his show to the level that it used to be, you know, um, and he's looking for that star. And, you know, Spazuzura comes up to him and says, you know, I found your next star, I found your next act. And that's when they, you know, it's it's crazy to think that the timing has to be this way. But as soon as Pinocchio is about to Walk into school. He's lured. Uh, you know, the left side is the analytical that's coming, which is the school. You see this like path that he's about to walk in with all the children, and on the right side there's this like sort of artistic path, this sort of path of of more of uh, a more thrilling and more um, inviting path that you know, makes him stop in his tracks and have to make a decision, which is when you start to see Sebastian or, you know, Jiminy Cricket start to really take on his role of explaining to, to Pinocchio, like, no, 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 Like, don't, don't listen to these shady characters. Like, let's come over here. Let's, let's stick to the plan. And even then the monkey, I think, tries to, to stop that from happening. I think the monkey immediately notices is like, Hey, wait, there's a little bit of a higher, level of thinking occurring within this vulnerable child that I need to sort of quiet down. I need to shut up. I need to like take over. All at the same time, this adult, this very charming adult, Volpe, you know, decides to sway uh, Pinocchio to listen to what he has to offer, you know. And again, Pinocchio is in a path right now of not knowing what he wants, but eager to learn and eager to be accepted. And I think that we all go through this period in our life of needing this acceptance because of a void we might either feel or just the ignorance of, you know, the beauty and, and the blissfulness of, of what life presents to us without really thinking too much about what the outcome might be, and more so just, you know, acting on that feeling, feeling that if I do this, then I will now be seen or now I will be heard or now I will know more than I didn't before without having to have that um, level of thinking, you know, kind of consider the outcome. And that's not happening right now. You know, Pinocchio, as kind and as um, happy as he is, again, still has a lot to learn. And you can see that right there and then because you have Sebastian telling him multiple times. Like, you know, no, this is not right. Continue on to school. Move this way. And at the same time, though, he's willing to not listen to that voice, but listen to the voice of this character that we're going to talk about, Count Volpe. So I thought it was just very interesting because you see this struggle. It doesn't. It's not like the man just comes up to Romeo and says, come join me in the circus, school is for idiots. He actually like encourages him to, to, you know, to go to school in a way. He says, you know, you you can go to school, you will learn. He, I think he lies to him about the book he's, he's holding in his hand. He says, you know, um, he kind of just sort of gives him, he tells him everything he needs to hear in order to still... um, It's kind of interesting as well, because before we actually meet
1: these two new characters that Pinocchio meets on the path... Sebastian is instructing and kind of communicating what he's going to learn in school right and it's it's really fascinating because we see the symbolism of apples come up again in the original cartoon Geppetto gives Pinocchio an apple on his journey, and there's not a it's not a coincidence that that's actually what Sebastian is going to use as the example when he's explaining him mathematics and the reason why apples are used to this is because apple apples are the gateway to form and so so to understand form an apple plays a perfect expression of this matter and he does he he speaks to him about he's actually explaining to him multiplication and he's just like you know you have 7 apples and you multiply it by 4 and he's trying to talk to him about this and he's like you've got 28 well there's a lot of synchronicity there's a lot of significance in in that what he's saying not only apples as, again, like the gateway to form and the choice between like knowledge and desire, but also what that equation actually adds up to, which is 28. And 28 is the representation of right in the middle of your Saturn returns. Mm -hmm. And so it's really kind of this like conclusion of one cycle and the beginning of a new. And this idea that now that Pinocchio's outside of his home, the choices are now independent on him, you know, just kind of like the Saturn returns your childhood in your early adolescence is over. And now you're an adult that the choices that you make are on you. You can't, you're not guided by your parents anymore. You're not like pushed from here or there. And so again, this apple is such like a perfect kind of connection. And this is actually why apples are used as an example even in our own lives, when you were learning like addition and subtraction, why maybe your teacher or your parents unknowingly use the example of Apple? Well, Apple represents this existence and mathematics is the ability to like understand this in a more concrete way and be able to, you know, really kind of like
0: use the logic
1: to understand what's actually happening in this five sense reality.
0: That's incredible, man. You know, I didn't, I didn't See the significance in that number until you just brought it up right now, because one of the things I was paying attention to, and I mean, I I know it's very clear when you're watching the movie, is how he loses the attention of Pinocchio. And I remember feeling that way, where I was excited to go to school And in particular, there was one math teacher. I mean, there's always going to be a few teachers in your life that either opened doors for you or did the quite opposite, which is to close doors for you. And there was this one teacher I had in this private school in Mexico when I was living in Mexico that just was the most dry, somber, and pretty much, I mean, defeated individual I've ever had in in any of my um, experiences in school. And I remember he sucked out the energy from me wanting to learn more about math. I mean, he really, all he really cared about was discipline. I remember he would walk up and down the aisle um, between our desks. And if you weren't paying attention, you know, he would get pretty pretty upset and call your attention or smack your desk with his ruler. But I just remember thinking like, okay, I'm just going to keep staring out the window because the more this guy would speak, the less interested I was. And there's this moment where Sebastian's explaining to Pinocchio – what math is. And he has him for a second because he's like, well, What will I learn today? Et cetera, et cetera. You know, he still has this, he's vibrating in a very high at a high level as far as what he's about to encounter for the day in school. And Sebastian just totally loses him. I mean, he kind of starts to make a math and you hears you hear Pinocchio just say, I don't know if I like math anymore. And it's like, oh no. Like there's already just something that kind of uh, prompted a difficult uh, way of thinking or a more complex way of thinking that doesn't have that flow that a child kind of is riding, that, uh, riding on that wave of excitement. And so that's a, a, a perfect opening for this why that comes and why I mean like the letter Y. So like the Y or the fork in the road, because in that moment, something a little more alluring comes to Pinocchio. And so, uh, but anyways, I want to continue hearing what you have to say about that. I love
1: that you brought that up and we're going to actually see that point get even more firmly established. And this is such a great representation of why we lose children in school. Children are naturally curious, but we, we like beat the curiosity out of them and we're actually going to see a book used to like beat the consciousness and that curiosity even at a sebastian in a few minutes oh yeah um, yeah with like that the interplay of the monkey you know and this is this is so true you know when we when we like are introduced to this especially through schooling they've disconnected the idea of the magic of this experience you know like math was not exciting to me until I actually started studying the esoteric and the occult, and I started to see the spiritual significance of the numbers. But there's such a a a void of this in our in our indoctrination, in our schooling, and they, and the child is still connected to that realm, and it's almost forced to leave that behind. And it and we smash the curiosity. You know, a child wants to know what's around the corner. They want to know what that is. They're he has all of this like natural curiosity. But we, we present it through our adult lens that's disconnected from Correct. this inner child. And so you're right. We lose them. You know, we lose them immediately because it's, it's void of life. You know, we, through this process of, you know, especially in this, like, this last century, right around the, like, the 1800s to, as we made our way into the ni- 1900s, we, as like, even in science, in math, We separated from the metaphysical principles of those subjects. And we really kind of like connected just to like the materialistic understanding. Well, what do we know about the material? Everything in the material is going to die. And so it's always everything in material is decay. Our life comes from spirit. You know, it's spirit that animates our body. Well, it's the same thing with these subjects. When you take the spirit out of these subjects, they die and they're in a process of decay. This is why since we, you know, since we've like removed the metaphysical principles from our culture and our society, we've been in a slow decay and it's dying because it doesn't have that life force energy to keep it alive. And this is why when you watch the external world, it's in such shambles. Well, we disconnected from the source. We get disconnected from the spirit. Just like when the body loses the spirit, it loses its animation, it it loses its breath, well, we're seeing this and it's like this drawn out process. And so, and when you walk into school, they celebrate this, this idea of rationalism. And when we kind of made that move and we, and they say like when we moved away from like superstition and things like that. But once we did that, we lost the true significance of these subjects and the understanding that all of these subjects are connected. And this is why it's difficult to motivate children to go to school. We have to give them Like, oh, this is a means to an end. Like you graduate and then you get a job and you make money. The motivation comes with power and, you know, conquering the material rather than like enriching your soul with the lessons of this universe and by learning the lessons of this universe, by learning numbers, by understanding language, you can better understand creation. That's taken away. You know, we're, we're taught in school that this is just a dead planet. We're just, you know... When we die we turn to dust there's there's no purpose to life just motion so again as we moved away from meaning and started adapting the idea of motion well we started to have this decay and it's so obvious when we kind of look into the external world why we're experiencing this in the five sense reality well like when you lose the spirit the body dies And everything has spirit. And the more we take that away, the more decay we're going to, you know, see because everything in the material dies. You know, so we need that energy and we need that rebirth of energy that comes with the spirit. And that's kind of like cuts Pinocchio down. And that's what kills the curiosity out of even the child to where they have to get like forced to go to school. You know, there's a reason why children cry on the way to kindergarten. Because they have this feeling that they're like creativity is kind of starting to die and they're like kind of scared of that process because like internally they know something very pure is going to kind of get like taken out of them. Now, this isn't all education. This isn't the subject of education, but this modern teach to the test, you know, um, it's, it doesn't like our schools don't teach us how to learn, like how to think. They teach us what to think, and it's through this process that we're going to kind of see the calcination that begins and why when we are going through, you know, spiritual work as adults, we really have to go and decalcify a lot of these, you know, conclusions that were presented to us as just like raw facts, you know, and there was, there was no questioning or what is said, it's just accepted it. from the horse's mouth into you, and it's just this like regurgitation, and it's void of life. And so it's it's difficult sometimes to get children excited about these kind of things because there's there's no wonder to it. you know there's there's no there's no component above logic, but we know the universe is one step above logic. You know, as much as the materialistic science scientist, feel that this this earth and, you know, this experience of life is an equation, there's not a chalkboard, there's not enough chalkboard space, and there's not enough chalk in the world to fill out that equation. And there's always going to be one step that they can't get connected to. And and that's what we kind of find. And so as we move away from connecting to the spiritual golden thread that ties everything together, well, we we fall into decay, just like the process of matter. And we also become
0: swept away by the sands of time and we slowly dissolve. Going back to the to the uh, Kabbalion, I remember there's a, there's a chapter in the Kabbalion that talks about the divine paradox. And I feel like there's kind of this moment there with this 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 divide there. And there's a quote from the Kabbalion actually that I, that I brought up that I like this, but it says, you know, in the Kabbalion says, mastery consists not... In the abnormal dreams, visions, and fantastic imagings or living, but in using the higher forces against the lower, escaping the pains of the lower planes by vibrating on the higher. Transmutation, not presumptuous denial, is the weapon of the master. And that's from the Kabbalion. But the reason I say that is because... I mean, people want to criticize our society right now so much, especially like a younger society, about where we put our energy towards and how we are swayed by these like very short burst rewards. But we have lost that essence of this wonderment in more of a philosoph- philosophical and more long-lasting and eternal understanding of the universe around us. And instead, of we kind of just look at the Maya, we look at this material... Uh, pleasure that sort of gives us with our physical eyes, you know, uh, a quick result as to what we're looking for. And that's kind of what you're seeing with this process that we all know about what's going to come with Pinocchio and becoming, you know, this, this, these strings replaced onto him and becoming this marionette, marionette, because someone is giving them, an immediate satisfaction of dopamine and, and, and sort of attention, because we're all longing for attention. I mean, I'd be lying to you, if I didn't say when I was at school, I just needed someone to kind of give me validation. If someone would have said, Hey, you know, the way I measured the distance between my home and school. And I had a conversation with teachers in the faculty about like how we should have a, a shorter path to school. I was using math during all that, or I was using an understanding and calculation of distance. And because that was not part of a conversation with me, you feel excluded right away. Like, oh, the adults are talking. But it's like, you could have understood what these adults were complaining about had you had a little more of an understanding of the unit of measurement they were um, using to complain about their long drive. And so they keep us in this sort of back and forth of like, this isn't for you yet, but yet you must learn these these ways of understanding math. But there's a way to apply it to where there's inclusivity. And I think as a child, you want to be included. And that's what you get when you have Count Volpe walk in. You know, he's he's dressed very, uh, what's the word? he's a very loquacious character. Like he's just very vibrant. His hair is very vibrant, his mustache, everything. And he just knows how to use that to his advantage. You know, that it's not just children that he's like manipulated, but all individuals in his life to better his um, profits or better his, his own like gains, because that's the moment where I think Pinocchio, he hasn't even met an adult yet inside the school. You know, he just kind of stopped at the point where Sebastian sort of confused him a bit with math. But here's this adult who's like, "Hey, I see you. I see potential. I see a star. I see someone who can go far." And that's mm-hmm. all we really want to hear. But there's a process to get there. We all are a dancing star, as we talk about this, you know, um, quite often on the, on on these podcast episodes. But there's a way to foster that energy and to profit for your own soul's gain rather than just the gain of something else. And this is what we constantly do to ourselves, whether it be through social media, whether it be through like, you know, the materialistic gains that we have that we can show off to other people. Um, You know, a complete side note, I've heard people just talk about the things that they chase after in life are just so they can get the approval of others, not so they can feel the satisfaction from within. And so you kind of see that with Pinocchio a lot in this whole story unfolding is that he needs this approval. He wants his approval, but he's also giving you – he's giving himself up so quickly because he's he's telling the world, like, I want this. And so the world's like, I can give you that, but they're, the world's using a different way of of – not showing him what he's losing at the same time at the same time and so when he he uses his conscience, which is you know sebastian telling him like no you got to go to school you see him just a bit for a moment torn and you know of course this this individual count Volpin, knows exactly how to talk to him he's like oh you can you can go to school like no big deal he's like you know i'm just gonna i'm just gonna go this way um And he's like, maybe tomorrow, he goes, oh, there is no tomorrow, it's today, like today's the last day you can make this choice. And like, that's super profound, because he's telling him like, you're missing out on something that you may never get back again. And they do that to us right now in this society that we're in, where people feel like, rather than thinking about what's the outcome, what's the consequence of me sort of selling a part of my soul, a part of my essence so quickly, um... They're just like, oh, no, don't even think about that. Because if you don't do this now, if you don't act now, if you don't buy this car now, if you don't take this loan now, if you don't take this, if you don't participate, it's going to be gone. And uh, you don't want to be that guy who missed out on that uh, opportunity. I mean, it's something that is done to us at nauseum, you know, um, and and we fall for it. I've, felt, I've fallen for it, especially working in media aside from, you know, this podcast where it's like, if I don't do this, if I don't do that, then you know what am i doing really and so you know anyways i don't want to get too carried away here but uh, he has to make this 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 choice here and uh eventually by the way the the cricket does uh does become silenced by um by Volpe and and it's interesting cuz i you know like Pinocchio doesn't even come to his aid he's just like yeah it's okay like i'm just going to listen to this man mm-hmm. he just promised me a lot of things and i think he promises him literally I think it's like hot chocolate and and all the candy he could want. And all he says is like, Uh oh boy, hot chocolate. And on top of all of that, there's Uh the most menacing uh, part to me, uh, which is the contract. You know, the contract is just heavy. And you know how this character is very much
1: kind of this representation of that lower form of Scorpio that we spoke of, like the snake in the grass. Right. You know, it understands cycles and patterns. It sees this naive child. And this is why we have to take even the inner child through a process of maturation because like naivete is, is, is just as dangerous as, you know, being too like, like too like rigid with life right but like believing that everybody has your best interest in mind that's going to damage you on this path and it's going to lead you you know down to this darkness and he offers him a shortcut to success well you know one of the things that i was really when i was like going through like my little like capricorn breakdown of myself and i'm like i didn't like this episode one of the things i remembered that i was wanted to talk about was the idea that in Capricorn, we learn there is no shortcuts. Mm. There absolutely is no shortcuts to this path of like self-unfoldment. And he does, he offers him this instant sensation. This is something we really have to focus on because as we kind of get more kind of connected to you know, social media, there's a reason why, you know, a couple years ago, you might have got distracted by YouTube videos that were like five, eight minutes long. And now you get distracted by the shorts. And like this idea of TikTok, and it's like 15 second videos, it's just dopamine hits. They, They are they're getting us with like dopamine, right. like instant gratification, instant satisfaction. Satisfaction and gratification are a great part of our consciousness, but that's supposed to be created and drip through our brain through the, like the process of fulfilling a goal. You're supposed to feel satisfaction and dopamine when you, you, you accomplish something. It's not supposed to just be like handed to you. Like it's like a quick hit. Well, what happens with a quick hit is like, you get addicted to it and you become an addict and then you can't live without that quick hit. And this is why people even having like conversations with you are like talking to you and it's like, it's like current and you're like in it and then they look down and they're like scrolling through their Instagram feed and you're like, we're in the middle of a conversation. Like this is happening here and now, and you've been pulled away and then they kind of come back up. But it's like fascinating to watch and watch how like we're going like shorter and shorter to how we gain that that dopamine hit you know and so you know as we're like looking at this we can actually see the parallels in our society and you know this idea of sebastian this idea of the consciousness getting beaten by the book and the idea that we like really beat the curiosity and the magic out of children with just linear knowledge again the intellect is so important but Intellect is the left side of the brain, and that's that logical component, which is why, you know, why in school now. It's all about science and math. Like those are the two key subjects. You know, history is becoming an elective. It's like, it's like a, a side thought. You know, the idea of the arts, it's, it's like a side thought. It's all about like, well, this is what you're going to get standardized tests on. This is what's important. And it's, it's like making us all imbalanced through our consciousness. And there's a great, great quote by C.S. Lewis that's, one day you will be old enough to read fairy tales again. And, like, meaning that as you go through this maturity, as you go through this, like, process of self-unfoldment, you get connected back to the magic of this reality. Even though we're told to, like, leave that behind because it's going to actually, like, bog you down. Like, you can't live in that fantasy land anymore. Like, you can't see the magic of this reality. You have to grow up. You have to, like, get indoctrinated. and. This is what kind of happens and even the consciousness is like beaten down in the books and, you know, Sebastian or Jiminy Cricket represent the consciousness that that also wants to like connect us to our, you know, our heart's true path and he's literally like beaten with the books with the idea that like we're actually like stunted by how knowledge is just given to us in this one way um, presentation and it's not inclusive. And we really do beat the idea of even thinking about higher things, you know, like in our, in our studies of even school, they, they actually kind of like tell us things that like we intuitively know aren't correct, you know, like they can even, like when we're in school, like even the justification of war, like natural law says that like we can't take somebody else's life. Well, in school, they say that like, you can't take somebody's else's life if they have a different flag. You know, if they're not our flag, natural law doesn't apply to them. Intuitively, your conscience is like, I don't know. I don't know if that's right. Like, I don't know if I'm allowed to take that person's life. But they're like, no, this is how it is. And they start separating us from the true law and the true knowledge. And there's really this like, you know, we we fall back down. We like get connected to that matter state and we start to lose the spirit And the decay starts to begin and we really lose connection to our true purpose because there's no purpose behind this information. And so, of course, you know, Pinocchio has that inner desire for adventure that kind of gets pushed out of us, you know, and this individual has this adventure, you know, he has this sensationalism and he really tells them like, you know, you can be famous, You know, there's a shortcut here. Think about like even the young generation now. We are in a process of the evolution of consciousness that like this young generation is the butterfly wings. Like we are, we were the caterpillar that is in the cocoon and we're all going through this transmutation, right? But we're not the wings. That's the future generations. These are the, these future generations are supposed to be like, illuminating to us new possibilities and we should be like educating and nurturing you know even our own not own potential like it's like this they they really have it well these children are are told to be like well you can like deny even the study of this world and have this like instant satisfaction and this instant richness by becoming an influencer you know like being a youtube star and it's like yeah, you. if you can make money that way, that's fantastic, but it's like very limiting of their potential. And we're really, you know, we're really kind of just like beaten down with the idea of this whole thing is about material gain and popularity. And that's, that's such, that's poison to the growth of the soul. And it's, it's a disservice to the future. And we're gonna, you know, we're gonna see the outcome of that as we as we live in the effect and we only see the effect of creation, we die with the effect. When we lose out on the causality of why we are here, we lose out on actually that, you know, v- that revitalizing essence of what the spirit kind of brings. And we do see this. We see Pinocchio sign over his soul um, by deception.
0: You know, he got deceived because he was naive. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and, and, yeah, I mean, I think that um, everything you're saying in regards to current events and the way we sort of operate on this short attention span and getting that those dopamine hits is a problem that I think a lot of us not only have uh, encountered for ourselves, but also hear about whether through other podcasts or other books or you know even the monetization of self-help has sort of its own deceiving um, aspects to it that pull people into you know, gains and profits of just trying to become something better only to get involved into more of this, you know, uh, wealth of just, again, the, the dopamine hit. And, you know, again, there's nothing wrong mm-hmm. with the arts. There's nothing wrong with singing and nothing wrong with dancing the way Pinocchio will be, but it's, it's how he's going about it and all the things he's skipping that doesn't give him the ability to actually be a sovereign individual and you're going to see that you're going to see that on how he's being taken advantage of and you're going to see how he's being swayed to ignore all the signs of where he is giving up a big part of his value which is not only his soul but also his potential you know it's being used for someone else's gain and i think that that's where you're going to start to see the the first of many of his journeys throughout this uh, tale that we're we're currently breaking down. You know, he spends most of the day rehearsing and dancing for the show that you know um, this this individual um, Count Volpe will be gaining from. And so, um, yeah, man, it's 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 pretty it's yeah. pretty incredible. Um, but um, so
1: the story is is about the idea of you know what we do with this like creative spirit um, because our our creative essence is actually the universe working through us and it's it's holy it's sacred it's it's you know we can definitely you know create energy in the way of monetary income but it has to stay pure and a lot of us sell our creation to fit into the cube and to fit into the box and so if we think about pinocchio Pinocchio, it's, it's the story of Geppetto and his creation. Pinocchio is, you know, the, it's the creation of Geppetto. He's his son. So this is why he signs as a son, because this is what he is. He's the representation of it. You know, even when we think about the trivium, the trivium yeah. is as I think, so I feel, so I act. It's the father, mother, son, the son of God. Our creation is the, is the component of the blending of our thoughts and our emotions brought out into the external. Well, what, you know, what illuminates the external, the sun, it's what we bring out into the light of day. And so, you know pinocchio is the representation of this and it's the idea of like taking the most purest aspect of us which is our creative element which is how god speaks through us and he uses us to push the evolution of creation through this creative element and and like containing it into a a cube and containing it into a form and and denying it its pure essence and using it only as a way to gain you know, power in this realm when it's really supposed to actually liberate us from this realm and make us like rise above it. And so, you know, we take the most sacred part of us and we, we bastardize it and we actually like take that life essence out of it. And so this whole story is the idea of the, the sacrificing of that pure life essence that works through us. And even the idea that we can sell our creation because like, your creative element. When we speak about like the esoteric and the occult, we know that these words aren't ours. We're being used as a conduct, like you know, we're being used to communicate this. But it, it's not ours. We're we're very grateful right. that like knowledge works through me and I speak knowledge, but it's not mine. I I'm just the container that the universe speaks through. You know, the the great artists are actually this this representation of the universe speaking through them and that idea when we actually lose that paradigm and lose that understanding and we start like thinking like, Oh, I own this. This is all me that does this. Well, that's also a process of like selling your creative true aspect of, of
0: this reality. You know, we've had a lot of conversations up until this point regarding the apple, but uh, as you and I were talking before we recorded that he's now taking a bite out of that apple of desire, you know, um, the apple that is known to sort of like basically bring the physical realm to this level of of pleasure and this level of, um, of not just the desire that to, 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 you know, go the direction that he wants to go in with Count Volpe, but also away from, you know, his conscience and, and away from, in this case, his schooling, um, which Sebastian fights, you know, so, so intensely for. You know, he's really trying to get his attention, telling him, you know, you're, you're, you're making a, um, you're making this contractual agreement with the wrong source. Um, but, it, you know, all he all he hears is free popcorn and hot chocolate and the ability to, more than anything, mm-hmm. become a star. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, I don't know if you want to yeah, touch up on that. Yeah, absolutely,
1: man. And I, I like that you made that connection of, like, the biting of the apple. Because the apple is going to represent – the idea of kind of getting like, you know, falling into desire, but the apple also can give us this deep knowledge in this, you know, this really esoteric significance of what it what it represents. And so it's, it really is this like, you know, it's like a duality kind of component. And, you know, the apple, even just with the idea of like the sweetness of its flesh and that sensation that kind of comes from that, and that's exactly... How he kind of like, you know, really kind of convinces and and catches Pinocchio's attention here is with like the sensation of the five senses. And that's what's really going to kind of pull him in. And it's this unique kind of component because, you know, we really could and we really should do a whole episode and have a whole conversation on the apple and what that kind of represents or just the esoteric significance of fruit. And, you know, it's we, we're going to produce fruit in this life, but it kind of depends on, like, you know, what fruit we want to create. You know, we're constantly creating, but what are we kind of creating? And the apple has, you know, such deep significance of, you know, it represents the idea in this 5 sense reality of even that, like, flesh has to be sacrificed— and, you know, we have to eat the flesh of something to keep going. It's it's a part of this process. And so, you know, mm. that's, that's a big thing to take on. Even if we don't eat meat, you know, we still eat the flesh of the vegetables, the fresh of the fruit. We need to like, you know, we sacrifice lower energy to power us. And so it's kind of part of this like learning about this five sense reality and learning about the you know, what this construct of reality is trying to present with us. But even in this like carnal nature of the apple and the idea that we do have to sacrifice flesh to continue on this journey and to continue our animation, when you make your way through the apple, you get to the seed. And so even in the like the carnal desires and how like, you know, you know violent this five sense reality can be and how cutthroat it can kind of be, Within every experience, the seed of the creator is actually there, you know, and that the, the seed of creation is within the apple and the, you know, cre- the creation and the creator are not separate, separate. They're one. And we kind of have to go through this experience of some of these difficult things and see these, you know, inverted expressions that we're going to see with the count to find the seed of creation and see the true pattern of what we need to kind of get connected to. And this is like the same process with ourselves. You know, we get, we get kind of hypnotized by the external. We, we kind of have to go in that internal journey to find the seed of creation within ourselves. And that's, that's part
0: of this kind of process. You know, in, in the scenes that follow all the way up until him performing, it's very interesting what that process looks like. Um, I think I'd already mentioned this, but he does get all the things that he was promised upfront, you know um, this this individual that's basically taking um, Pinocchio without really knowing, you know what he's really signed as far as his contract, you know knows very well how to manipulate individuals. And I know that in the first story of Pinocchio or the the animated version, it is said that it is the um, – I believe it is the – I'm trying to think of what he was. You know, the individual who's basically running Pleasure Island is sort of this like maleficent, like this this evil individual who's um, really working from a very dark place in order to gain the innocence of these children. In this movie – there's several villains, obviously we already covered Podesta, but count Volpe is very interesting because (laughs) just the way he was created sort of has this very devilish look about him and, Mm -hmm. but he's also very charming, you know, at the same time. And so something that I don't think children in their innocence can make a, can really distinguish at first, you know, I know that when I was a child, I assumed all evil looked like someone who was dismembered or someone who looked uh, more of an obvious character of evil versus one who could put on a mask and perform a certain Mm -hmm. way to lure uh, an individual, especially a child, to do the things that they wanted them to do for. And so, like, you know, you have this independent child here, which is Pinocchio with no strings attached, willing to put strings back on um and and so many words you know not not almost literally because he he doesn't have to that's probably part of the act that he'll he'll present to um and and later on in the scenes is that he's a puppet with no strings attached but he does have strings attached in this case to the contract with count volpe um and so you kind of see him still kind of unaware and sort of in this case he's a child so he's not drunk on any sort of you know substance but he is a little bit satiated with the candy and popcorn and hot chocolate he's been given which has kind of got him a little deeper into the weeds now of like okay what do i need to do and what what kind of work do i need to perform and um And yeah, you're going to kind of see what that what that looks like for him because it's not like he immediately has to have a bad taste for the performance that he's going to be partaking in. He mostly has actually the opposite. He kind of realizes like, this is just, I'm just going to double down. Like I'm performing, people like me, what I have to say, he, he comes through the curtains, you know, sort of unaware of what his potential is and he sees it. Immediately from the reaction of the crowd. so again, I don't want to go too fast. So let's go back a little bit to when he's preparing if you want, or when he's made that decision to separate from Sebastian. Um, just take it from there.
1: Yeah, no, perfect. And we you know we were kind of speaking about the the sacrificial the sacrificial nature of this reality, like, you know, with the apple and the f- the flesh. And now we kind of learn another part of this five-sense reality jungle, which is deception, right. you know, and the aspect of deceiving, and why it's so dangerous to be naive, and why we do kind of have to learn that aspect of, you know, one of the components of getting hunted isn't always this, like, straight-on attack. Sometimes it's done by deception, and we have to kind of gain an awareness of this. And you know it's 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 kind of interesting he's getting these you know these sensations to fulfill his five sense reality but he starts asking questions and and the count we start to see his true colors and he actually like we see this devilish nature kind of come out of him and it's this like aggressive like he kind of puts down any kind of question of like no i own you now and it's kind of like in Little Red Riding Hood, where it's like, Grandma, what big teeth you have? You know, like we're starting to see the wolf. It's not a sheep. It's a, it's a wolf in sheep's clothing. And we we kind of like have this experience. And it's really interesting, because one of the big components that's going to kind of come up later on in the story is Pinocchio's kind of connection with lying. And we see that the Count really teaches him how to lie. You know, Geppetto didn't teach him how to lie. Geppetto's a very truthful, honest man. But by going now and kind of working with this deception, he sees the power of lying. And this is, again, this is a unique process to think about the first time that we told a lie, you know, as a child. And it's like, we had to like feel it out, and we kind of did it. And even as, you know, maybe the first time we did it, it was like really obvious. And our parents are like, oh, okay, you know, like a bird came in and broke your toy. And I'm like, yeah, bird flew into the window. It broke my toy, and it also broke the vase. And they're like, okay, okay. And you think you're, like, doing good, but yeah. it's, like, super obvious that you're lying, yeah, yeah. you know? And then you learn how to get better at it. And it's, like, this thing that is is a part of the idea of, like, we learn deception from others. And this is that influence that kind of comes, um, you know? And so it's this... It's this, you know, a big really root component that's that Pinocchio is gonna kind of fight with from this influence of your word. And your word is very powerful. And when your word is not aligned with truth, it can be damaging. It's damaging to yourself and it's damaging to others. And he's gonna learn the power of the word as we kind of continue, but he but he's gonna like, you know, he's gonna dance with that duality. And that's gonna be a big part of this story, you know, moving forward. But you're right, he um He kind of like jumps into the role, and like you said, when he doubles down, um, he kind of takes this role, and then he really kind of likes the attention that he's receiving.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I I like what you said about the lie, though. There's something that you said about the lying that I thought was very um, specific in, in, in what he learns right away from the Count, is that the Count is obviously very involved in the arts very involved into theater, and he uses that um, not just to manipulate Pinocchio, but also to show him how to be sort of dramatic and uh, unauthentic, um, not just for play and not just for entertainment, but also just as a means of survival. And I feel like that kind of takes place uh, a couple times in in the movie. But uh, yeah, I mean, he steps on stage, he sings, you know, he performs with. You know the count. The count, I think, is probably the one writing all the musical um, cues and 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 the, the uh, actual like uh, performances. But he's also playing the instrument, and they they work together, and they both get the feeling of this desire to be noticed, to be seen, and to have worth. So you can tell mm-hmm. that this man is playing that role of not necessarily an individual who's already passed their time. Of, of establishing like their own worth but needs someone else and especially in this case which is very dark a child to sort of bring him that uh, fame and that sort of attention that he longs for because he sings a song prior to acquiring Pinocchio where he sings to the whole circus about how we will make a comeback like this is our comeback um, this is when he this is before he goes and finds Pinocchio so you already know from the very minute you meet him, that he's kind of in a lull, but he knows that all he needs is a spark. It's not that he needs to go. Oh, it's going to take me so much time to train this individual to bring him up to speed. No, he already is a master. He knows. Like as soon as I get that spark, I know exactly how to make this fire just grow. And so again, full potential. Both of them get what they want. They both get a. a Uh, standing ovation all the while geppetto is looking for pinocchio because he was told that he never came to school and so you kind of start to see geppetto fall into more of that fatherly role at the same time because he's concerned for pinocchio he's not just waiting to see how school was and see if he was obedient enough but he's you know genuinely concerned like where is pinocchio Um, and when he goes out to look for him, he finds not only the book that he gifted Pinocchio prior to going to school, which, you know, belonged to his late son, but he finds, um, Sebastian who's been sort of trampled and tells him like, this Mm -hmm. is the direction he went in. And Mm -hmm. he's sort of also confused on the song he's singing because he can hear the song from a distance and that song he's singing is a song that he sort of learned already, um, um, Somewhere from the soul of Geppetto. Because Geppetto sings a uh-huh. song to his son, his orig- his first son, uh, Carlo. And if you listen to the melody of the song he sings as a lullaby to his real son, Carlo, it's pretty much the same song that they're using with different lyrics and a different uh, theme for the song he's performing with. And you hear Geppetto uh-huh. say, how does he know that song? How could he, How could he know that song? Which is very uh-huh. interesting because... Again, it's not like Geppetto manifested Pinocchio the way we would biologically speaking, but there's an essence of his soul that that angel kind of incorporated um, from the influence of Geppetto himself, which again is what has Mm. Geppetto in a moment of like, you know, uh, he's perplexed and like, he says that, he's like, how could he know that song? Uh, which infuriates Mm -hmm. him even more because it's a dear song to him. It's a song Mm -hmm. that, you know, reminds him of his relationship with his son, but also, you know, that his wife once sang to, um, to the boy before bedtime, I believe. And so, Yeah, yeah. So there's a lot to unfold there or unpack that you can sense from Geppetto as he like goes all the way down to retrieve Pinocchio. And Pinocchio, I think at that point is getting, um, all his praise, and Geppetto just kind of walks through the crowd, picks up Pinocchio, and Pinocchio's like, "Hey, like they love me. Like I've, I've like I've made it. Like I'm here. Like uh-huh. like forget school, forget the process, forget the 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 way to climb any kind of ladder. Like I'm already at the top, baby. You know." Uh-huh. And Geppetto's uh-huh. just like, "No, we're leaving here," and that's when things get a little bit chaotic and you know the the idea of being sort of um you said something earlier about you know people just skipping the process to becoming say an influencer but the idea that even if you want to live within the ba- or outside the boundaries of the, of this five sense reality the count already brought in something that is very much like a lesson for pinocchio and for anybody else out there is that hey there are certain things that are going to anchor you down to a situation you can't really like sing your way out of and that would be the contract you know so the count is already kind of like whoa, whoa, whoa where are you going you can't just go anywhere just yet you know it's not that simple as one two three hmm. it was that simple to get in it's not that simple to get out and that's something mm-hmm. that's very powerful even like when you were a child and you watched the original movie i remember it's like you kind of Go along with the story on how you go into Pleasure Island. Who wouldn't go to Pleasure Island? It's when the doors are closed behind you that you're just like, wait a minute. How, how am I trapped? Like I was willing to come in here. Don't I have the will to leave as well? And it's like, no, you don't. And that is very dark in itself as far as finding that out throughout any period in time of your life is when you realize what you've made yourself uh, or, or what kind of situation you've put yourself in you know it's like you did uh-huh. this to yourself like you didn't think too much about it of course someone lured you here something lured you here there was but you your base level desire is what got you here without you thinking and using that higher level of thinking in this case being sebastian that he abandons behind so again a lot to unpack right there but um i'll let you i'll let you say what you need to say man
1: Yeah, no, and so much to kind of investigate there. You know, to even think about, like you said, the idea of the opportunity that the Count sees in Pinocchio. And why that is, is because the Count has cut off his tie with, like, the creator. You know, he's kind of moved to this idea of, like, the selfish ego, and it's it's all about, like, you know, fame and, like, taking advantage of people and so when you cut off the source of creation you cut off also your ability to create and Mm. so what we see here is a lot of individuals when they kind of get tied into this five sense reality and kind of get this tunnel vision and they detach themselves from creation, they lose the ability to create and so they have to hijack individuals and they actually have to like steal their energy and kind of guide their energy. And so we actually see this like he can't create so now he's got to like hijack it from somebody else which is which is Pinocchio and Pinocchio is now feeling, the opposite end of attention because before all yeah. of the attention, you know, was all negative. Like, what is that? And they were like, they didn't like him. Like when he walked into the church, everybody was like scared of him. Well, now he's like swinging to the other side and people are admiring him. And so we're even seeing right. him deal with that, you know, that idea of that, that pendulum that kind of that slings back and forth. And he, and he's going to now, like you said, he, now he's got puppet strings on him. And one of the really, and I'm so glad you brought this up was when Geppetto is, is trying to find him and he hears that song and he's like, How does he know that song? Well, this goes back to that eternal connection of the father and son and the idea of who's actually operating the story. Yeah. It's Carlo carlo is actually operating this story because carlo is you know his essence is tied to pinocchio he is not pinocchio but his essence is tied to him it's like he's influences this because one of the big things that we're going to see is the greatest way to honor our loved ones you know in their passing is to actually like you know heal that process and you know Carlo, their biggest desires when they go is that you still move on with your life and you continue this journey. Carlo is always with Geppetto, whether he can see it or not. And he's watching him as he was like, you know, so depressed and sat at the graves. And he he completely, not only did Carlo die, die that day, but Geppetto died that day. And so we almost see this like, Overarching character that's actually influencing this. And the whole thing that was set up, this whole story is set up so Geppetto actually heals and can actually carry on with his life and come to terms with that process of his son's death, but he doesn't die too. And that's actually the way that we almost like dishonor our elders is not moving on. You know, we we take that season of of grief, but after that, we have to keep going because that's how we carry on their legacy. Why like continuing, it's the last thing we could do is forfeit our life that we still have here by just being sad and just being downtrodden. And so we kind of feel this in this kind of occurrence um of this right. process of like, oh, you know, even us as the viewer starts to realize that like, You know, we don't see Carlo, but we're feeling his influence and we're feeling even his connection within Pinocchio. Um, you know, as he's kind of like making this way, but you're right. He, um, Pinocchio's loving it because he's getting this, this unique kind of attention and, and how important it is to give the child proper attention. You know, it's when children view adults they view them with these unique responsibilities and, you know, all of this, this, like, they admire them, you know, cause as a child, you're like, wow, how did my, like, how does my family afford this house? How do they have all these things? They have all these responsibilities. They're so important. And so when the parent actually just gives the child attention, it validates the child. Like these people are so busy, but now they're giving me attention So that means I must be important and like how great that is for the child. And when the child lacks that, there's this internal process that goes like, well, I'm not important enough to get their attention. You know, so like when we sometimes, when we, you know, interact with children, we, we think too much about the process. They just want our presence, you know, because even like like playing with a child, you know, as an adult, we start like asking too many questions, you know, like, who's this guy? And he's like, oh, that's the bad guy. And you're like, well, why is he the bad guy? And we just like, we like logically try to do it. And the kid's just like... You don't need the backstory, like, let's just play, you know, like, let's just kind of do this, because it's it's just the attention that we give them. And it's kind of funny, because, like, we almost get, like, self-conscious about this as an adult, you know, like, oh, like, you know, like, am I playing right, and all these things, like, am I am I doing this correctly? And the child's not judging us whether we're playing right, it's just the attention that we kind of give, and how important that is to bestow on children, you know? It's just the attention. We don't have to know what they're doing or anything, but it's just that awareness and putting that towards them, because it it kind of validates the idea that that they are important. And if the child doesn't find it from the parent, it's going to look for it in external ways. And you know, if it doesn't have guidance, it's going to find it in ways. It's going to find it in like unhealthy attention grabbing. And you know, I know I've seen this in my personal life, even though I was, you know, given great attention from my family. But we, you know, we go to kind of pull that in different kind of ways. And it can be um, you know, it could be very like a negative um thing that we can kind of conduct if 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 it's
0: not getting its right fulfillment in the home. Yeah, spot on, man. Spot on. I uh, you know, again, there's a there's a lot of things we talked about in the beginning about Geppetto having this sort of more of a Grandfather role than he does a father role. And you see that way he gives attention to um, Carlo with this sort of, you know, no need to neglect and more so focus on Carlo's essence and, you know, really um, let Carlo come to his own. And there's just a beautiful relationship between the two of them. But now that Pinocchio is here, Pinocchio kind of makes Geppetto regress back to that sort of insecure father position because he's not really sure about how to go, not just about his relationship with Pinocchio, but also how to teach him because he's coming at it, at at him full speed, you know, where I think Carlo in comparison, you know, you, he had him as an infant all the way up until the moment we get to meet him in the movie and the story. So he's had his time to kind of incrementally teach him what's this and what's that while Pinocchio is just like teach me now show me now and you see that you can see that a man who has confidence and some sort of stoic um, uh, attributes uh, the, the 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 Guillermo del Toro does a good job of like creating sort of insecurity in his uh, eyebrows. You see a lot of that in like the the facial structures of the puppet or the, in the puppet, meaning not to confuse anyone, but the actual stop motion characters that are in this movie. He did a good job of showing this sort of insecurity coming from Geppetto. And not only that, he's also insecure about his position with the town because the town is sort of looking at him also with like, hey, you have this sort of chaotic little ball of fire you know that's you know on you to control and to sort of put in line and it doesn't seem to be going your way right now because i know before geppetto finds out about pinocchio taking off there's a moment where the priest and podesta come to um find geppetto to say he didn't go to school and there's a part where podesta says like he seems to be dissident he seems to see and be an independent thinker i'd say And I thought that was an interesting moment where you kind of see where the mind of Podesta really is. You know, he's just like, we don't need those kind of people here in this town. Like we Mm -hmm. have a very orderly thing going on and you have a very disorderly situation, which again is separating Geppetto even further from his connection that he should be fostering with Pinocchio in the first place. He's already kind of feeling like, oh, this kid's making me look bad, which is something that I think Mm -hmm. I've personally have dealt with in my life that I... Uh, I'm very, 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 I can't say very enough fortunate that my wife will say to me, I can't wait for you to be a father one day. You'll be a great father. But I, I won't keep this a secret. My biggest fear is letting me feel some sort of insecurity about how my child behaves, acts, and is willing to participate in society. Because that's something I did to my own father. I know that I was sort of like uh, not a I was never a rambunctious kid, but, you know, spending a lot of time with my grandparents gave me freedom to explore things where my dad was very tired of explaining things to anybody. So when I, when I would have this like hundred mile an hour, you know, conversation with him about like, how'd you figure that out? How do you fix that? When do I get to learn how to fix that? I remember my dad just feeling like, geez, like I need to like <laughs> take a breath here. I need to sit down. This kid's too much. And so there's, there's obviously this like interaction that you're seeing geppetto you know have to regress back to of relearning how to approach this sort of energy that's coming at him so fast and so quickly by just giving him the love he deserves rather than like pushing him away by telling him you must follow these steps because he's just like that's not fulfilling it for me right now like Mm -hmm. this is like my second day on earth like i'm gonna go where the crowds want me i'm gonna go where i feel wanted and I'm going to go where I feel that I can make a change or have an influence on individuals, and that's why he ends up so you know easily being swayed by the count. And so uh, mm-hmm. you know you're gonna you're gonna see this throughout your whole life with many individuals who are going to use you. I know for a fact you've been through it, and I know for a fact that I've been through it. You know, you see opportunities, people open doors for you, and some some if not most of my accounts with this have been positive where. I gave a chance to an individual and I was able to come on top and they were looking for my best interest. But there was definitely times where people were like, do this for me and I'll do this for you. And then in the end it's like, where did that person go and what came of it? Oh, right. I gave them everything I had to give and got nothing in return. But it's a lesson Mm -hmm. that I had to, the only way I walked away fulfilled is that I'm like that I needed to learn that lesson. Like I needed to see Mm -hmm. that like, I did this to myself without questioning things because there is such a thing as like, you know, neglecting an opportunity, you know, there's a way to, you know, so there's a way to go about an opportunity before you just give up your entire soul and your essence to someone else who's Mm -hmm. like, I know what's best for you. And again, this is an overarching theme in the whole movie is everybody knows what's best for Pinocchio Uh, But Pinocchio is 100% running the show on his own. He's like, I don't need anybody. I just need some guidance. I don't need you to tell me like, you know, exactly what I need to do. Um, So anyways. Yeah. You know, just that love and support and understanding
1: to allow the authentic blossoming of the individual. And I'd like that you brought up the idea that, you know, the priest in this representation of the state come, and they're they're very concerned about the individual aspect of it. And, you know, there's this unique kind of evolution that we kind of see, because, you know, the stamping out of the individual expression was kind of used, like, the, you know, in a negative way, was kind of used by organized religion for a good part of the Age of Pisces. And then the ability for religion to kind of stamp that out, it was losing its power. And we kind of talked about how that, that control of people went from organized religion to the state. And this is why even when they stand next to each other, the priest looks, looks weaker than the state because this is the opportunity of when the state started to gain more power in the controlling of individuals and really yeah. kind of trying to, you know, make that group think idea of like, no, you know, we need him to kind of turn into a donkey that we can control, which will kind of come in, you know, a little bit later. Um, But we do, we have the stamping out of the, the trying to stamp out that individual authentic expression that Pinocchio produces. And the idea of Geppetto, you know, trying to like understand how, how he can operate in the middle there. Um, And he doesn't truly understand Pinocchio like he did Carlo. So he's kind of, putting that pressure on Pinocchio as well. And so we can kind of feel the, all these external forces that kind of push us. And this is the idea of the like the creative aspects of ourselves that we try to share with the world, and they get denied. And this is how like the early formations of the shadow is created, because we present ourselves to the world, and the world's like, oh, no, you can't do that and so then we kind of retreat back into ourselves and we lose a unique essence and this is what we really kind of do in spirituality is to go back and retrieve that unique essence and bring it up through with the intellect and the maturity and the stability of like you know the strong individual and find a proper expression of that energy but if not, it kind of stays stagnant and it creates, you know, darkness within ourselves. And that leads to so many problems as an adult that we all kind of face with. And we, you know, we see the effects of this in adulthood and we, we, we like try to treat it and remedy with effects, you know, by medications and like these ideas of like, oh, let me just put a band-aid on it. Well, you know, you can't really, you got to get to the seed. You know, you have to go down to the core, you have to get to the that aspect. You're not going to be able to, like, handle this in an external way. We have to kind of get to the seed of this, which is the internal, and make sure that we kind of nurture it so it can blossom in a way that's not destructive to the community, but actually can, like, help enrich and inspire the community, um, which is, you know, really kind of unique. And so, yeah, I mean, and so, like, I guess we kind of have that showdown, like you were saying, between... Geppetto and the Count, where the Count's like, "No, I own him," and you know, this is that idea where Geppetto's like, "You don't own him; like, he's my son," you know. And we have this idea that, like, no, he he handed himself over to us. And what's kind of unique here is this is actually when we see the the telling part of the Pinocchio story, where he tells his first lie, and his nose grows, which is like so interesting because it's much later in the story
0: than you would think of in pinocchio um well, and that's to, such yeah no go ahead go ahead i was just going to say no. this is where he needs to use his lie because he's being convinced to go a direction he doesn't want to so he's like oh you're changing the direction of my my will currently so the quickest thing that i can do instinctively is to pull out some sort of like you know bs uh in order to to convince you that this is the path for me. Because I think there's mm-hmm. a couple of things that happen. He pulls him away. He says, you were supposed to be at school. And then he says, you were supposed to behave. And he says, you're supposed to behave like, like, and then Pinocchio fills in the words. He says, like Carlo. And then Geppetto says, yeah, like Carlo. And that's when you kind of still see that Geppetto isn't not necessarily, not only over the death of his son, but he's trying to make Pinocchio into something that he's not also Mm -hmm. so everybody in this whole story is trying to tell pinocchio who he is without pinocchio being able to have that moment to decide that for himself and you see that he doesn't look very happy about that he's like i'm not carlo you know like you could kind of see in his face like i'm not this boy that you kind of put up on a pedestal um and that's when the count comes after him um um you know, and and when the count's coming out, Pinocchio starts to tell the lies to Geppetto because Geppetto's so disappointed and angry. This is the first time you're really seeing Geppetto so angry with Pinocchio. So Pinocchio's like, wh- you can see he's kind of like scrambling to be like, "What do I tell him on why I lost the book that belonged to Carlo?" And he starts to say the lie, and and you can see that Geppetto is crushed too. You can see that he's just like. You know, I never taught you to lie. And he, but he does declare it to him, though, in that moment, he goes, how dare you lie to your papa? So that's kind of a different thing, too, where you kind of start to see that Geppetto's taking ownership of the idea that I am this boy's father. Like, this boy is my responsibility. Um, but it unfortunately, it's also a little too late because, again, the count's like, hey, like, you and I need to square this off. Like, he's he's mine now. Which is what, Mm -hmm. you know, puts them in the precarious situation of them pulling uh, uh, Pinocchio from left to right. uh, And this Mm -hmm. dispute of who owns this boy, uh, which is uh, super interesting because, you know, I think uh, Sebastian kind of sees where it's going. You see the truck coming in the background and then that's when, you know, it all kind of goes down, you know, which is a very interesting turning point for the movie as well. Because in the, in the original, there's no scene of him dying and then mm-hmm. crossing over and then finding out what happens when he crosses over. So this is where things I think for many of the people listening to this uh, are going to find a lot of interesting points of where uh, del Toro took this whole movie. Because it's like, whoa, this is going much deeper than I thought it was going to. So, so yeah, so <laughs> let's kind of take off from there. Yeah, absolutely.
1: And to, to come back to the, to the idea of the nose and what that's going to represent. And you're right. When it's Pinocchio gets emotionally charged, which is actually going to create this lie. Well, the nose is a really fascinating thing. And what it's going to represent here is actually our shadow because between right now, when you're looking, like when we're looking at each other, I don't see my nose, but it's actually in my line of sight. But my act of consciousness, because it's actually a barrier, blocks it from my vision. And so it's as plain of day to see my nose. Like when you're looking at me, you see my nose. It's right smack in the middle of my face right? My nose is actually in my eyesight, but I can't see my nose. And so this is the representation of when our shadow starts to come out of us, it's very obvious to others. It's as plain as day. It's right smack in the middle of our face. Like everybody can see the shadow kind of coming out of us, but the individual that's actually projecting and expressing that shadow, it's not even aware in its active consciousness. It doesn't even see it. Like, we don't even see our nose, even though it's in our eyesight. Really fascinating, fun thing to do, though, take your finger and close one of your eyes and look— Now you can see your nose. The idea of that spiritual understanding of to be able to actually see your shadow and understand it and see its process, you really do have to get that spiritual one eye and actually look through that one eye vision of the mystic to be able to actually perceive and see the nose. And so it's this unique component of the individuals whose shadow is expressing is is like unknown to them and this is why we can kind of continue this process this is why it's easier to see other people's shadow find any expression than your own but what's so unique about this nose of pinocchio is this shadow and this unique thing that he kind of is going to think of is is like a flaw in himself and something that he like is kind of discouraged about and is like you know ashamed of that his nose like grows when he lies Well, that's actually what's going to save him in the story. And so what this kind of shows us is your shadow is not just this evil thing. It's a thing that needs to be incorporated and understood. But we're so afraid of it that we never actually look at that, and we just continue to look at the both of the eyes and ignore it. But it's it's actually what makes you unique and special. The thing that in your life that is the biggest flaw that you're discouraged and ashamed of is actually your unique spiritual essence that's supposed to get shared. And this is why the shadow can kind of cause so much destruction on an individual, mental, emotional, and spiritual, because this is the unique signature of the Creator that it wants you to express and share with the world. And so when it's denied, you know, we feel the heaviness that comes with it. And we see these negative patterns that kind of get created. And so the thing we're scared of ourselves, you know, again, the demons inside of us are just angels that we actually don't put insight and awareness to. And once we do, we're able to incorporate into the self and represent it in a mature, sustainable, fulfilling way, um, where we really can kind of more share our unique, authentic self with others. Um, and so, like, a fascinating idea of how, like, obvious it is to others, but how below the awareness
0: of consciousness it is on ourselves this attribute that he has about, you know, what keeps him in line is still something he's going to have to channel in, in order to save his father, uh, and himself and actually, uh, Sebastian. So, uh, yeah, yeah, man, I didn't you know, even consider that. So, so I love talking you know, to you about this. So cool. And you know, who's
1: so funny, who grinds down his nose to get it back down to size his father, His father is the one that actually like cuts his nose down to get it back down to size. So Geppetto again is that representation of almost the demiurge or Saturn and the idea that Saturn grinds and cuts his nose back to size. Well, this is the same experience for us as our shadow starts to extend out and actually like, you know, affect us. And like start growing into other people, Saturn is gonna use friction to purify our imperfections. And it actually grinds us down with this experience. And it's this like heavy thing. And so again, we we always look at Saturn as this negative component, but it's just grinding us down to actually like repurify us. And you know, that's the idea of like the sculptor. The sculptor takes you know a coarse rock. Initially, it's this aggressive, violent cuts to kind of start getting its shape, and then it just like slowly starts to polish it. And so it kind of talks about our first dance with Saturn. You know, when we first start to dance with Saturn, it's very aggressive. It has to cut us down. You know, it has to cut us down so we can actually like, you know, purify ourselves. But as we understand Saturn, that that aggressive cutting, like we see when his his nose just grows like out of control in the beginning— Really goes down to like a smooth polishing at the end. And it's, it's really this unique thing. And we really kind of start to see that through this process of this like resistance that Saturn gives us, it's, it's to reveal the masterpiece within us. You know, it's the, you know, the idea of like the, the statue of David, you know, the statue of David was always in that rock that it was sculpted from but it was through the process of you know cutting it through and polishing it down that it was able to actually you know you know actually like pull out this masterpiece of this you know beautiful art that was kind of created there and so again it's it's the resistance and the struggles that we find that actually makes us beautiful and allows for us to actually represent ourselves and without that we're just going to be um, you know, it's there's, there's no, um, there's no process of actually like finding that internal beauty and really kind of showing off that seed of creation that's within everything. Um, and so really kind of unique kind of role that Geppetto is playing here. And, you know, the idea of when he was just like, don't lie to your papa, that's the idea of like, don't lie to the creator, like, don't lie to creation, it knows all. You know, that's the of thing. You know, we lie and we think we get away with it, but the lie, our noses grow. The universe knows that we're lying. It doesn't matter if we deceive the other person. You know, it, we could, you know, we can lie and the other person could be deceived by us. And we're like, oh, I got away from that. I got away with that. No, you didn't. It was as plain as your nose growing to the universal life force. And it's going to see that, and it's going to know that, like, okay, we need to give him lessons to understand not only the power of his word, but that his process here is to, you know, uncover truth and live in truth, you know, and that's going to be part of it. And the more we, you know, move away from truth, and we, like, ignore it, Well, the more we're going to feel the heavy resistance of Saturn and and the pain that kind of comes from that. And it's going to be, we're going to feel like we're grinding all the time and we get bitter and angry. And so such unique things that kind of come with this nose of not only, you know, of his experience with truth, um, but also, you know, the special aspect of like, this is actually going to save you at the end and it's going to save your father. Um, and you just have to learn how to utilize it correctly. Um, and that's what we're kind of exploring. And you're right. And then, you know, apart from the nose, you have the pulling from the left and the right, you know, family and fame, the idea of like, you know, the home and the external world, the pulling, the pulling. And then we do, we get flung into traffic, he gets hit by the truck, and we do the first entry of many
0: into the underworld. For sure, for sure. Um, yeah, I mean, and then that's a whole other thing, you know. I know we can speak another hour onto this this topic of like what this is gonna really represent on him dying and having a borrowed soul because he does. He crosses over and doesn't even understand death, so he's not even necessarily afraid. And then those who are taking his soul to the other side, they don't even understand how he's still alive if you will they're like i thought he was dead you know and this this is represented by these four black rabbits that are uh you know striking up a game of poker and uh pinocchio says to them um i hate being dead and you see these these great big doors and that's the first time you see some kind of egyptian sim- symbolism um in the carving of the doors now it's kind of hard to make out what the doors are i've tried to look at the images um but you can kind of see there's something ancient behind them, and he crosses through there with sort of a weariness about where he's going to walk into. And right away, he's met by this uh, this goddess, this god, this, this keeper of death, this keeper of souls, all the things that we're going to talk about. But she doesn't introduce herself, um, and I say a female because her voice is a female voice, but this is sort of an androgynous character. With the body of a lion and the head of this muse with these horns and the same angel wings from the other individual we met that gave uh, Pinocchio the soul. And the first thing she says is, um, I feel like you've been here before. And she says, who are you? He goes, I'm a boy. I think I'm dead. And then she says, um, oh yes, you're my sister's folly, that sentimental fool. You know, so she's not very much in agreement that he should have been created. And she makes sure that he knows, you know, the boy, the wooden boy with the borrowed soul. And I thought that was interesting because it's very telling by just saying the borrowed soul. It's not the boy with mm-hmm. the soul. It's a borrowed soul, which is kind of like, okay, wait, what does that mean? Like, what kind of time is is Pinocchio spending on earth if it's just a borrowed soul? Uh, there's a lot to unfold with that statement, I suppose, but um, yeah, they kind of have a discussion as to like how many times he'll be able to come back and what the trade-off for that is and what that represents uh-huh. and what what he has to learn in regards to how precious his time on Earth is because every time he, you know, sort of takes his life for granted or just sort of takes the wrong path that leads him into such a, you know, way of of awakening in this place, he has to wait a little longer before he can return. And I think that this is a lot, Uh again, to unpack with, you know, what we do here on earth with our time and how many times we come back. uh, If you're a believer in sort of this reincarnation period of having a soul, you know, leave the physical body and ascend to the beyond and belong to the beyond, but sometimes having to return by not understanding that the desires from that base level have led us to live a life of unfulfillment for the greater cause and just for more of a um, selfish cause to our physical gains, which is what Pinocchio has just done, right? I mean, it's not like he said, oh, I'm going to go join the circus and then this is going to cause me to my demise or cause my demise or lead me to my demise. But in turn, it sort of did. He kind of very, you know... uh, very quickly made these decisions that led him to these consequences that led him to his lying. And then boom, he's dead. So it's like very fast on how he kind of has this intense experience, but he has the opportunity to come back. And so, yeah, we can kind of go from there.
1: Yeah. Perfect. And yeah. Fascinating
0: scene. And
1: this is something that Del Toro added to the story. Um, And you know, we kind of have the movement even when he's in the coffin and we have this, this experience of death and guiding by those black rabbits. And I know this was something that we, we were really curious about and looking into it. This is going to be the representation of also that ISIS connection, the Egyptian protector of God, of the dead and children. Um, And, you know, the idea that she was always kind of seen like with these black rabbits and kind of what they represent. So they are kind of taking him down to the underworld where he does, he kind of makes this connection and he goes through a gate of initiation when we walk through that. And this is what Pinocchio is representing here is the process of the initiations that we go through, the death and the rebirths, you know, the idea that you can't live by lying. And that's one of the big first things that we kind of see. We we have these occurrences where we realize that I can't live in the same patterns that I was. They're destructive, and they're going to be my demise. And so we have these, you know, various death and rebirths in this realm that kind of has to happen through the spiritual realm. And we really do see the two sides of the coin of what that Isis energy is with her sister Um, because she was just like, oh, you're the, you know, you're the folly of the, my sister's mistake. And it's kind of interesting here as well, because there's like some Gnostic connection with Sophia as well of the idea like Sophia kind of gave her life, but it, it kind of like, Worked against her with, and that's what created the demiurge. And it wasn't mm. so much like her intention. Um, again, that's a Gnostic conversation. I know every episode we're like, oh, we're going to talk about Gnosticism, but we are making our way to be able to have those discussions. And that might make a little bit more sense. Um, but there's a reason again why this she speaks of her sister, and there's a reason why Del Toro chose it to be voiced by the same actress because it's, You know, it's two sides of the same coin. It's life and death. Um, you can't have life without death and you can't have death without life. And so we're seeing that counter aspect of it and this, this, this ability of us like, you know, in this in between. And, you know, she actually says some really unique, deep things to her with the idea of, you know, even the, what makes the human experience so special is its finiteness. You know, the idea that like, Pinocchio almost feels like, you know, we kind of think of it like, oh, he can't die. But then you kind of start to feel like he's kind of almost a prisoner in this form. And like that idea where she was just like, you know, what she's going to kind of learn through one process to the other, like, you know everything you love is going to die in this existence because you're just going to keep coming back. But though they don't have eternal life on the physical, they're going to kind of pass away, and that's going to be something that he learns in this underworld. And so this this really kind of looks at like the idea of exploring the underworld into ourselves and that process of like killing who we thought we were and going down into that underworld to actually explore these these aspects of again where the you know where we find that shadow lives you know the idea of we have to get to the core to the seed of the problem to find that solution um you know we don't really solve you know our problems like we were talking about in the external way you have to go down to the seed of where the problem is actually caused and that's what it's really going to kind of look at as this exploration and this experience as he goes to the underworld just like we saw with you know the labors of hercules and all other heroes that we've spoke about you know it's always such a huge component of of going back to this this place of where like death resides and that's actually where we're reborn and he does he kind of continues this process and she you know that unique kind of thing of you stay here longer every time you kind of come back down and and that that you know we don't think of the significance of that until later and that's actually going to be where you know, Pinocchio actually becomes the savior, um, because of what he's going to do to transcend that limitation of the time that's kept him down there, um, and sacrificing this unique thing he has of eternal physical life. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, so much symbolism, such, such a deep thing to kind of look at. Um, and
0: these are characters that are going to kind of come back around. So while we're in this, like, underworld period you're going to kind of see not only the understanding that pinocchio has for what his life uh means you know because there is one thing that i wanted to talk to you about because you've said this before about like there's a separation when we realize that i am not the chair where I'm not this object, like I have a soul. And she does a very good job of telling him like, you're nothing more than a piece of wood like you would be a chair. It's the soul that mm-hmm. you are borrowed that gives you like the ability to kind of feel like a real boy, but you're not a real boy. And he kind of looks perplexed. Like she says, you're not Carlo. She says, you're not like Carlo. And he kind of looks sad because she says, yeah, you're gonna die many times, that for sure. But what makes you so special to die many times and come back is because you're not a boy. And then he goes from like happy to sad for a second Mm because he's like, oh, this is great. You're telling me that I'm going to be able to go back and continue my adventures. And she's like, yeah, but the cost of it here is that you'll never be like Carlo. And he has to kind of accept that. And Mm -hmm. so, um, you know, one of the things that is going to happen after he has this realization is the movie does speed up. The movie then sort of has kind of given you the foundational theme, the overarching intensity of the characters and what they're going through, but also like, you know, it kind of shows you okay, from here until the very end of the movie, this is how we collect all these pieces of these lessons and put place them together in order to fulfill the journey, uh, which is uh, pretty incredible. So, yeah, uh, but go absolutely. ahead, you want to say something.
1: No, no. And I, and I love that you brought up that point. And it's such a, it's a good place to, as, as we kind of transition and kind of close this conversation down. But you know, we have to remember that the sister of this did tell Pinocchio the same thing. It's not until he proves himself brave, truthful and unselfish. Um, and so why right. she kind of does this is to like reinforce this lesson as well as, you know, Do you need people to remind you and tell you that you have the creator in you? Or do you know? Like, why are you externally needing somebody else to tell you who you are? You need to actually know who you are. It's not this process of like, oh, like, am I, you know, am I the son of God? It's like, are you the son of God? Like you can stand up for yourself. Like you are the creator. You need to like state it and stand in it. And she's going to give him more of a hard, colder lesson because she's the representation of like death. And it's going to be like, you need to find this in you. Like, and I'm going to kind of give you this idea of like not handing it over as a potential. I'm almost going to like try to drop it down. So like, are your beliefs guided by me or do you actually know? That you are the son of God, and you are the son of Geppetto, and you do carry life. And and that's what we're kind of seeing there of this, you know, it seems so dire, but it's just the flip side of the coin of that lesson, you know, where the other one is that motherly energy of like, you can be if you learn truth. She's going to be like, no you know you're not you're never going to be and it's it's us that have to like transcend that resistance and actually like stand in our own and it doesn't matter what the unit like it doesn't matter what society says like oh you're just cockroaches you know you're just you know the result of like dar, you know like this this you're just a byproduct of biology no you you have to stand on your own and be like no like i am part of this process but there's something more here you know um it's it's just like this fascinating thing and the last thing i kind of want to like drop into that kind of like relates to this is like the idea that we brought up the nose of like how we don't see the nose in our act of awareness and you know one of the things that that we kind of when we kind of talked about this idea of like this disconnection from the metaphysical principles that used to be like the the grounding of all of our studies was a unique thing to kind of explore when darwinian evolution was presented um, there was a counter to this there was this opposition of fundamentalist who like really saw the the bible as lit- like literal like they read it in a literal oh, i'm so sorry there was this opposition from like the fundamental religions because they kind of like looked and perceived the Bible through a very literal lens. Um, and they opposed Darwinian evolution. And we read about that and we hear about that in our history books, but they don't tell you about the other people who countered Darwinian evolution. And that was the metaphysics and that was the esoteric and the occultists because it's not that they didn't believe in evolution but they did they they felt that the evolution that darwinian was present that darwin was presented was too watered down they're like there's no way they're like evolution is so much bigger than this idea it's not just survival of the fittest and mutations that's one little component of it but it's such a bigger understanding that you're missing out on and and we see this with like the idea of not seeing the nose like how did that happen or even how how the eyes work Eyes have to be perfectly aligned to kind of be able to perceive and like actually take in light and process it to the brain. It's not this like slow process that like Darwin was presented. And so when we kind of think about this idea of like when people like think about like, oh, like when we think about that idea in history, we're told that it was between the fundamentalists and Darwin. But we're not told about the counters who are like, this is such a watered down of version of evolution because they always knew about evolution but it was on a more spiritual holistic kind of way and there was bigger processes that were ignored and so like through this you know our sciences tell us that we are just the byproduct of you know this kind of evolution where there's a bigger component here and there's some sort of intelligent design that's mm-hmm. aligned with that you know that evolution that's merging in so Again, it's like that idea of like having to like grant your universal power that's within you and be like, you know, we are not just the product of just survival of the fittest. That's a component down here, we see that, but it's not everything. And so again, we're asked to do these things because if you think about it, we're faced with this all the time of people telling us that we're just, you know, again, we're just like cockroaches or we're, you know, we're sucking the planet dry. No, Mother Earth like the clay that we came from loves us like it doesn't deny us, you know it's it's this idea of like really getting standing up for our own spirit and Pinocchio is gonna have to do that and share show that he is a spirit and he's actually can go through the ultimate thing, which is sacrifice, which transcends everybody else is actually just a wooden puppet. He's actually the real boy, um, and he's the real savior in the story. And so, so fascinating. So I'm so glad you, we brought that up. And um, yeah, I, I agree with you. The, the remainder of the story, it's interesting how he told it, because it does kind of get condensed and move kind of fast. And so I think we really can kind of, you know, finalize this in maybe the fourth part. Um, but this, it's so funny that this went from, we thought we were going to kind of tie this down in one episode, and and here we go. Uh, moving on from episode three to episode four.
0: I know. I know, man. I remember the first time I took uh, a psychology class in college, they used movie reference. I, I had a very, very fortunate, I was very fortunate to have a very profound professor who really liked what he did and left his corporate job uh, to sort of uh, pursue his, um, not just like his, entry level of teaching psychology but finding a door that everybody could walk through and i remember he did it with movies and i used to wonder wonder to myself like oh you could do every movie but some movies he was able to condense in like one lecture you know and he's like these are the macros this is why this is this is what really you know is being said in this movie this is what the overarching theme is etc and it did it connected with a lot of students who were like i'm just taking this as a you know, because I need it obviously as as a um, a credit for my my degree or whatever pursuit they were in. Uh, so the point being is, when we did this movie, you and I again we've talked about Pinocchio several times before this this movie was even uh, released from Del Toro. So I kind of had that idea, like, oh, we'll do like a one long episode, like the first episode and last. And now that we're going into part four, it's like it really shows not only the 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 more studious approach that del Toro had for creating such a movie with the theme that was already made, but recreating it to where it has a deeper meaning that goes way beyond the layers that I think a lot of people were expecting as far as just in terms of being entertained. And so as mm-hmm. we start to unfold it, it puts us in the shoes of some of the thoughts of the writer's uh, perspective of making these characters and developing these characters in order for you to have this understanding. And, uh, and here it is going into episode four uh, to finalize this story kind of shows um, the true uh, depth that they had to go through, but also that they were willing to go through in order to deliver this story. And so, fascinating stuff man i love being able to talk about this with you and you know very thankful for all those who have listened to this uh unfolding thus far because it is a lot uh, that we don't want to miss and we don't want to just like blow right over because again this is the story about you as we always say the story about you and other episodes and other um you know, themes that are, we bring up with the esoteric and the occult is that, you know, we're all just trying to find our way back home, but we're also trying to find the true value of something that every minute of every day is being sort of redefined. And when it's being redefined, you're kind of losing the essence of what you're born with. I like that you're saying that we're born from this clay. We are part of the earth, you know, mother earth may be having, um, you know, uh, a time of difficulty, with us on the planet, but it's, it's endured millions of difficult things throughout time. And we're not the first thing that's come around that sort of put it through some kind of shift, you know, but the shift that it's going through is a shift that's going through with us. So we are all part of the same shift. It's a collective shift that we need to sort of take account for in my opinion, of, of, of what the criticism that comes at people going like, we are these cockroaches, we're just, con- we're contributing nothing. We're contributing great things. Just these conversations alone may help an individual out there realize, you know, do they have their strings attached? Are they a sovereign individual? And with that sovereignty, you can sort of free other individuals that may not have felt that same kind of freedom in order to have a true appreciation for the star that is inside of all of us not having some individual like in this case the count telling you what your value is and also taking the profits from that value so again super profound and very thankful to be able to do this with you man
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, as we're signing off, I did want to say a big thank you. I mean, obviously, a big thank you to all the listeners, the community and everybody who reaches out. Um, But to Andy, who actually allowed for me to kind of reschedule our alchemical conversation so you and I could come and complete this thank conversation. You, Andy. So, Andy, you are a legend. We are so thankful <laughs> for you. And um, yeah, and you know, Best all the love to everybody that's listening. And uh, high fives through your speakers.
0: Boom. Boom. Cool, man. Well, can't wait to do number four and to, you know, really conclude this story. So uh, until next time then. Kisses. Until (laughs) next time. (laughs)